Hi, welcome to Notes from the Road. I'm your host, Evan Peary. I've spent more than a decade on tour with acts like Pentatonix, Dan and Shay, and Andy Minio. And I've slept everywhere from tour buses and floors to one-star hotel rooms and 15-passenger vans. My goal with this podcast is to provide a window into the side of touring life you don't see on Instagram or MTV. The behind-the-scenes, nitty-gritty tales of comedy, chaos, and camaraderie. Every episode, I'll be speaking with a different touring professional I've met along the way, giving them the opportunity to tell their story of how they got started, where they're headed, and everything else in between. This episode, I'm joined by Mike Porman, who plays drums for Hot Rod Circuit and works for Andrew McMahon and pop sensation Billie Eilish. Mike, a New England native, has lived both sides of touring. He's an accomplished drummer, engineer, and producer who shifted his focus into becoming a talented jack-of-all-trades crew member culminating in working at an A-list level for a huge pop artist. We discuss jumping into work headfirst, continuously seeking advice, and how to make a great first impression. This is Notes from the Road with Mike Porman. Welcome to Notes from the Road. I'm glad to have you here. You were one of the first people I thought of when I was kind of brainstorming this idea. And it's taken a little bit longer because you are pretty wanted busy man in terms of touring these days not sure if it's wanted but busy yes yeah mike <laughs> just came off of a very very long run um with pop sensation billy eilish that's his current gig current gig yes but i came straight into that from my andrew mcmahon gig so the uh well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but yeah. yes, I, I had a very short four days between a 12-week tour <laughs> and jumped into a, I mean, I've been gone since end of March on this, basically. So Right, and we're in the month of July. Yeah. Recording this in the month of July. Yes, and we're f- pretty, far into, the, <laughs> pretty mm-hmm. far into the month of July. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I've been home, uh, well, now with these few days, I've been home about 26 days the whole year. So that's, that's not a lot. That's living the, the road life. Yeah, but it's great. Uh, but when we were literally right before we hit record, we were going to try and get into this, but Mike was going to take me back to his earliest thoughts and, and of touring. And he's like, I'm probably the oldest person you've ever had on so far. And he might be, but he's going to take us back to the nineties real quick. So, <laughs> um, what, yeah. What, so what did that, what was, where was that? Cause Mike also now he's been working, teching, um, and doing a few other things on the, on the touring side. So the crew side, but. Mike has played forever in bands and toured, you know, as an artist as well. So we're going to get to hear both sides today. So I'm interested in that. Well, I think that's the interesting thing about this whole entertainment industry, right? You can reinvent yourself a million times. Yeah. You know, I've done band, studio, tech, marketing, tour managing, the whole nine yards. So it's... When I want to cover, I want to try our best to cover all that today because you're a pretty renaissance, you are a true renaissance man of it. I don't know if you want to hear hear about all of it, but (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, as far as my joke went, I I probably am, I mean, you know, I'm getting into my mid forties now, so I've been Mm -hmm. around for a little while, but um, the first tour that I ever did was with my high school slash college hardcore band age of reason all right classic hardcore name i'm i'm you know thinking but uh we had a seven inch out on hydrahead records it was the sixth record that aaron ever put out on that label which okay. you know now uh, who knows how many records are on there but he's you know launched the careers and helped the careers of so many huge you know heavy influential bands in that kind of metal and uh, that that market but uh, yeah, he he put out this seven inch for us, and we went on tour for two weeks with Piebald. Um, back in like 1996, they were still they were probably just getting out of high school, if not still in high school. It was in the summertime, and we were still in college. Right. And we toured in. So they had their. It was right when they first bought that little mini school bus that they had. I don't know. It shows up on artwork like all well, over the place. Well, and it's like in one of the songs, right? They they it is. they ta- they wrote a song sort of about the the bus. They did. Yeah. Um. Don't ask me what the name of the song is. I can't think of it either. I'm, on top I'm, of my head. You know, I, yeah. I lose things along the years here. But uh, I was friends with those guys forever. Was working, helping with them uh, for their artwork on some earlier stuff. They did self-release CDs and stuff like that. Um, I think, actually, I think I maybe met them when they were like 16, something like that. Pretty this crazy. Piebald you're talking Pie-balled, about. Piebald, cool, yeah, yeah. Piebald. So um, we decided to do this tour together um, and... 
they were in their school bus. We were sharing gear with them and we were touring in my friend Tony Testa's, um, it might have been like a Chrysler or a Pontiac, some huge boat of a late 80s car. car. And there were, it was me, Tony, the three other guys in my band, and then one other person. So we literally had three people in the back seat, three people in the front seat dr- doing these drives. Luckily, it was just East Coast, so not a ton of the driving mm-hmm. was very far, but you know, maybe six or seven hours was the longest drive. Miserable, but when you're, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old, however old we were going on the, you know, going on your first tour ever. Right. It was a blast, you know? Yeah. Well, and to be fair, those eight, like I remember my grandfather had a car like that when I was little and like, you could, you could fit people in it. Yeah. I mean, not fun for a 10 hour ride, but like you could fit people in those cars. You know, the trunk was huge. So we could fit some of our own gear in there and what we couldn't bring, we were sharing with those guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was total punk rock tour, total, you know, halls and back of skate shops and you know just stuff like that it was but it was great i mean it was my first taste of like oh there's this thing out there you know if if you had talked to me at that point about like oh would you rather would you like to have a career in this whole touring thing like i would (laughs) have laughed at you you know but well and okay just for those of you that mike plays the drums that's that is his instrument of choice and a thing he's refined now like the current state of coming off a tour like a year of straight touring it a lot of it it has to do with now teching for other people and under, really understanding drums like not just i play the drums but like i understand how to set up tune keep in line and keep tuned and keep straight and i don't know like that's a that is a bigger skill that i think than being able to tune a guitar i think it's a little there, there's finer points to being yeah. a guitar tech but like I think, I mean, it, it's a very similar thing. I mean, you know, with guitar teching, there's setup. There's, you know, there's there's little intricacies about a guitar that I could never figure out. Fret height, you know, just all, all those kind of details. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the drums, I think, are pretty similar um, as far as, you know, they all have their own intricacies. You know, different woods, different edges, you know, different rim, you know, rim materials, whatever, the whole nine yards. But luckily through the years, you know, when I stopped touring and I opened my studio, um, I was really able to concentrate a lot of my time and refining drum sounds and, you know, learning what worked heads, you know, different heads on different shells on different edges on, you know, the whole nine yards. Right. And luckily even earlier than that, when I was coming up in the recording thing and I was, you know, before I had my studio working out of places in Boston, uh, was really lucky to, um, work an engineer for Paul Coldery for years who did, you know, the first Radiohead record and did a bunch of the huge nineties bands like hole and, uh, dinosaur junior, things like that. I was able to drum tech for him a couple times on some albums and some demo sessions when Carl Plaster, his normal go-to, uh, drum tech wasn't around. And, uh, you know, Carl was a really valuable resource for me too back in the day because he just, he had this back closet at Q Division, uh, one of the other studios I worked out of, that was just filled with drums. Like anything you could possibly want, you know, ceiling to floor, shelves upon shelves of just amazing drums. And so I got a really early, I don't know, maybe, I'm trying to think when I actually met Carl, maybe late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. And he was really welcoming and really cool about like, hey, check these drums out. See what you like about them. You know, I used to borrow drums from him to do sessions at Q Division too. So um, just that, you know, kind of rapport that I had with him opened the door to just bigger opportunities and just, you know, trust. And, you know, that I think that's what this whole thing is built on. It's yeah. built on tr- trust for a person, but also built on like, you know, your vibe, your whatever. Um, I'm kind of going... Well, no, but, but in that, um, j- just talking with some other people, uh, the the mentor-mentee sort of scenario, it's... Um, a, a few weeks ago, I talked to uh, my friend Ant Paterno and mentioned that too. He does front of house. So like, who is out there to that's willing to... Like, he didn't have to open his drum closet up to you. He didn't have to do that at all. But, you know, like, I feel like when there's someone in in your life that you're looking up to and they're like, no, no, here's, here's a, here's a thing, go, you know, like, and, and come back. Do you have questions? I'll answer them. If you don't go like, and figure it out on your own. It's nice to hear that. You, I think it's sort of, it can get lost on people and 
when we're on the road, there are a lot of older people who are a little bit more closed off. So to hear, to hear on the flip side of these stories of people that aren't, that are very much still just open-eyed, wide-eyed to like, oh, there's this person's interested in what I'm interested in. I can either be a jerk to them and keep them at, and keep them at an arm's length and and at a distance, or I can say like, fire away, you know. And and to hear stories from other people about people who open open the door and welcome them in, and that's why I think we're all still here. You know, you became a better studio engineer or drummer or could hear things differently or you know like whatever that is. It it uh. You know that opportunity, and so where did that fall in from that point of first tour, first seven inch, first little thing to then the band that I know Mike mostly from is Hot Rod Circuit, still playing in that band off and on to this day. Whenever they yeah. can play shows together, um, where 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 does that trajectory lead us? So like mid nineties now into yeah, I mean, so I joined Hot Rod in two thousand. Okay. Um, and how I joined the band is actually a really funny story. Uh, it's, maybe it's not a funny story. It's just, in my brain, it's hilarious <laughs> how it all transpired. But right. um, I remember going to see them at the Middle East upstairs um, when Wes was still playing drums, and he was the original drummer in the band. I went to the show with Josh from uh, the band Six Going on Seven, who was a great friend of mine, roommate at the time, mm-hmm. and... Uh, fantastic fantastic band i don't know if you ever heard them or not but for those who are listening anybody listening in the northeast slash boston knows the middle east but a very tiny notorious venue in boston i would say for the most part a punk-ish venue i know that plenty of people have also seen the mighty mighty bostones there they used to play a lot of shows a gaggle of shows there but uh, like quintessential boston yeah indie punk Mm -hmm. i mean you know i saw anyone from Elliot Smith to Rocket from the Crypt there, cool. you know, just they had the upstairs, which was a small like 190 cap room. And then the downstairs, which now holds, I think, almost 700. But because of fire code back in the day, it was like 575 or something like that. So pretty, you know, pretty small room to see an amazing show. And you sure. can see from any place and, you know, any yeah. place in the club. But um, so, yeah, I saw them upstairs and Josh was good friends with them. They had done some shows together and whatnot. So, you know, I'm, I think I met Andy really quick and, um, you know, didn't think too much of it. Show was good. It was fine. Whatever. You know, I was like, cool. These guys are great. Whatever. Uh, a week later, Josh calls me and he's like, Hey, uh, I just, I just got off the phone with Andy. Do you remember that band hot rod circuit that we saw last week? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, do you think they were cool? I was like, yeah, they're all right. <laughs> and, um, he's like, Oh, well their drummer is quitting. And I threw your name in the hat to, to try out for him. I right. hope that's cool. I was like, I don't know. Like, I thought they were okay. Like, I wasn't really sure about. What well, had they? Was there a record at that point, or was there like a demo or an EP or something? First full length out. Okay. Um. So you know that had that Irish car bomb song and Week Warm, which people really seem to kind of latch onto. Right. Um. And it was a fun show. I mean, they put on a good live show. It was a lot of energy and whatnot. But I just, in my mind, I was just coming, I was still playing in this indie band called the Shyness Clinic at that point um, in Boston. That was kind of like my latter college years. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't sure I wanted to really tour. I wasn't sure. I didn't know what they had going on yet. And I wasn't sure it was my thing. So, you know, I love bands like Hot Water Music and, you know, like more kind of raw Heavier. rock and heavier rock bands like that. Um, so I was like, all right, well, whatever. Give me, you know, give me Andy's number. I'll, I'll give him a call. So Andy and I got on the phone for the first time and we ended up talking for over three hours. The first <laughs> phone call we ever had. I got off the phone. I was just like, man, I feel like I knew that. I've known that guy forever. Yeah. I just had like a really good vibe about it. So I was like, all right, whatever. I'll, I'll go down and, and try out for the band. So they were based out of New Haven at that point. And, um, so Andy had told me, he's like, Oh, just learn like four songs off the record and come down and, you know, we'll play them together, see how it goes. Right. So I scheduled time to go down there and day before I was living in Boston. So, you know, it's like a two and a half hour drive. Right. It's not that far. I just didn't feel like driving down there because I wasn't really, I still wasn't sold on the, on the situation. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure I wanted any of this. So, 
I called and I canceled. So I didn't go and we reschedule for like three weeks later. Call like two days before and I cancel again, <laughs> which is super, <laughs> you know, I'm 23, 24 at this point. So, you know, in my per- more professionalism that uh, I've yeah, got I now, say current, I would never do that. Yeah, the current state, Mike, Mike to me is a very, we ha- we've had a lot of amazing chats over the last few years and Mike is a very refined human in his 40s now and that seems very out of character, but oh, yeah, I'm 20 years old, whatever. I would never, I mean, it, <laughs> at this point, my life is based on transparency, getting to the point and, you know, you can count on me when I'm when I'm needed right. and whatever. But the, you know, back then I, I was pretty responsible still for twenty three or twenty four year old. I just I, I just didn't feel like getting in the car and driving two and a half hours to play four songs. You know, I just I just didn't have it in my brain that that's what I I wanted or needed in my life. So right. finally, we schedule this third time, and this is in the dead of winter now too. And um, I was like, cool, yeah, I'll be there. Sorry about the last time. I've got the songs ready to go. Meanwhile, I had not even sat down to learn these songs. So the day before I went to New Haven, I went to the studio. I learned four songs, and I drove down the next day. And uh, this is when the band was still practicing at Jay's family business. They owned a linen company, so they like cleaned and serviced um, you know, local restaurants, hotels, things like that for linen mm-hmm. service. So... I walk in, there's a drum set set up in this like machine room. Essentially, there's just like these huge industrial washers and shit in there. Right. This tiny little room in this warehouse. And we sit down, we go through three of the songs and we stop to take a break for a second. And, and Andy, and I'll do my best Andy impression because I know he loves when I do it. Uh, <laughs> Andy goes, I don't know about these guys, but you got my vote. And so, you know, Andy and Casey... We're pretty sold on it. Jay was a little bit more hesitant. They had actually played, um, I think, the week before with uh, our friend Dan Duggins, who was in uh, Lazy Cane from Richmond. They were like an old band. I think they were on Doghouse back in the day. Okay. Uh, And Shyness Clinic, my old band, had played a bunch of shows with them. So I knew Dan. And like Cam, um, it had a bunch of like heavy hitter Richmond people in that band. So Jay really wanted to play with, with Dan. And that became known to me like a week or two after. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, you know, if it doesn't work out, like I understand, you know. Right. And then um, just through conversations, it ended up being like, okay, well, Dan is going to go out on this tour with us that we already have books. Because I think I, I think I rehearsed with them or tried out in January and they already had a tour booked for beginning of February with Piebald, coincidentally. Sure. Um, which I couldn't. You know, I couldn't quit my job at that point in like a week and a half or whatever the the time period was. So they got Dan to go out and do the tour, and he wasn't going to be in the band. I was going to join when they got back. And then the funny thing is, fast forward to 2004 when I quit the band, Dan comes in and is the drummer till 2007 when they break up. So there's a lot of like... <laughs> Hot Rod's always had a lot of really interesting kind of ties and ins and outs with, you know friends and families and things like that. We were really like tight knit friend and family group. Okay. And so, you know, after I quit nine months later, Jay quit our friend Joe came in and played. And then when the band broke up and we got back together in 2011, we got the original kind of, you know, sorry about tomorrow lineup back, but Joe was still around. So Joe was helping us, was like giving us gear to use on tour. And like, you know, we just really, there was nobody was ever mad or pissed no, off or bad no, blood, or it was just no. kind of like, a, we're going to make this happen. Yeah. To make it, it happen. We always like, when I quit the band, I went and worked for management so I could keep doing the day to day stuff that I was already doing. So I just didn't want to tour anymore at that point in sure. 2004. But, but so those, those years into the, that, like, I would say, sorry that record like that was that shaped that that band like that shaped the band when that when and you were a part of that yeah that that was definitely the defining record for the band yeah and so from that era so joining to i guess leaving but joining what was what was the touring regiment like because i feel like i in that timeline saw you guys play at some point opening for one of my everybody. favorite bands. But yeah, yeah, for real, everybody. <laughs> so I would have seen Hot Rod play in the timeline of you being in the band opening for 
any other band that I was going to see in Jersey at that point. So like, what was, what did that look? Was that just like a get and go kind of scenario? Like you guys just went, went for it. Yeah, any I mean, any we, tour you could take, any shows you could play. At that point, I mean, um, Andrew Ellis was already booking the band, um, which was a cool story. He took on the band really early on. We were like a baby band for him that he just believed in and wanted to take a chance on, which was awesome. And he still books the band today. Um, the touring regiment, when I got into the band, I think the first year I was in, so 2000, we toured eight months that year. And then second year we toured 10 months, third year, eight. And then the last year, so two th when I quit the band, we only did two tours that whole year. So we were only on the road for like three months, which was a nice break after you know, basically touring for almost three years straight. I mean, yeah. we would come home for like a week and then go back out or whatever. Right. But, you know, anything that Andrew thought was worth us getting on and getting exposure, getting new fans, whatever, he put us on. And it didn't hurt that he booked all those bands at the time either. And it also didn't hurt that they were all friends of ours as well. So sure. I mean, a lot of those bands too had opened for Hot Rod previously. Like we took Brand New on their first US tour ever. And so the last year I was in the band when they were kind of getting to the height of their popularity at that point in the, you know, early going into mid 2000s, right. they took us back out on tour. And we did a US tour with them as main support. Yeah, that um, would have been if the, the Deja. Yeah. Era. It was Deja, yeah. Yeah. Um you know, and like Newfound Glory also, they opened for us way back in the day and those guys would always invite us out to play shows and stuff. And so like, you know, it was always just we were what we now describe as a band's band. Mm -hmm. You know, we could sell some records, not a lot. We sold some merch, not a lot. We played some fun shows, toured and had a great time. But we were always like a support band. We only did, I think, when I was in the band, two headlining tours ever, um, which was fine. Um, would I have liked to have gotten bigger? Sure. But what I learned and what, the experience was and, you know, the friendships that I made and the friendships I still maintain and, you know, a lot of the relationships that I created through that time period, I mean, it's so invaluable, you know, sure. it's like, you know, I would, I, so that's the thing I, going back to the original, when we were talking about Carl and, and Paul and those guys, yeah, like Carl at that point was in his late forties and I'm just this young, probably maybe 21 year old kid who was just really interested in what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing. Like, I've always genuinely be, been interested in making friendships and making relationships and just figuring people out and like seeing what makes them tick and what, you know, what goes on in their lives that drives them. And that's always been kind of a thing for me. And I think that that's helped me maintain some of these relationships. And I mean, you know, some of my best friends, guys that were in my wedding, I've been friends with since 91 or 92. Like I've had these lifelong friendships because of music, because of touring, because of seeing a basement show in Connecticut in 1992. You know, it's like, that's just the great thing about what we do and what we're right. still doing. I got this Billie Eilish gig because, well, one, I like to think I've been working hard, but, <laughs> you know, Brian Marquis, our tour manager, I recorded his band 13 years ago. You know, I made two records with his band, Therefore I Am, and he and I have stayed friends. Like we've just, you know, there's just these people in my life that I've just stayed close with throughout the years. And I don't know what's drawn us together, whether it was just music or what clicked, but mm -hmm. I don't, I try not to question those things. Like it's just, you make these friendships, you have this magic and it just goes on through your life, you know? So. And I mean, the thing for me with just getting everyone to understand anybody that's listening to understand, like, how how we find work there's there's the answer mike just gave you the like ultimate answer it's it's still a giant network it's it's a harder network to navigate but you never know when you're going to get a phone call someday and totally. that's the magic of it and and leaving an impression on everybody anybody that you run into people that you <clears throat> just just meet momentarily but they saw your work or they saw your personality and, um, well, that's the thing too, right? And every gig that I've been hired for in the last two years since I've come back and started really pushing the tech thing, mm -hmm. 
we like your vibe. That's 85% of it. Can you yeah. do the job? I'm yeah. sure you can. Right. Just, just, you know, are you enjoyable to be around? That's the number one thing that most of these people are looking for. And, you know, in my case, luckily, like with the Andrew gig, it, you know, some of those guys in the band have been friends with for 20 years, you know, so it was, those guys had a snapshot into the kind of person I was. So they were able to say, Hey, Andrew, he's a good guy. Like, I think it would be fun to have him come out. Plus he also knows drums really well. Yeah. Um, and then the same thing with Brian, like, you know, Brian hit me up. Uh, well, actually Brian and I had dinner back in November and I was out in California doing production for Andrew and he was like, oh, you know, we might be hiring somebody next year. Not really sure yet. Um, and I was like, cool, well, you know, keep me in mind. We just, that was pretty much the extent of the conversation. And obviously he was catching me up on what was going on because she was starting to really take off. Right. And, um, but then I didn't hear from him for like three months or four months. And I was like, oh, I guess the opportunity wasn't there, you and, know? And again, just to like to try and give people like a little bit of a snapshot into it. That's our lives. You like hold on to the gig that you have. And then maybe there's something that comes your way, you know, and it's, uh, or in those down times when all of a sudden you're coming to an end of something and you're, you're like, oh man, I, I, hope, I hope there's another, I'm going to have to start looking for another job or hope that another tour is starting up. Um, but take me through it less, less, obviously less about touring, but you decided to come off the road now in the early mid 2000s. What was the, you know, like, where were you at, I guess, from a, a mental component? Because, you know, if, if Hot Rod was, they were a working, touring, busy-ish band, and there was some growth potential there. So what was your, what was your reasoning for, at that point, taking time out, out of that and, and looking? Oh, I, was just, as, I was just burnt. Yeah. You know, it's definitely like touring like that back then I definitely thought was a young man's game. You know, I, I was 24 years old when I joined hot rod and you know, I didn't have any responsibilities really. I had no debt, had no anything going on. So I was able to do that. I worked at a coffee shop with Casey, you know, when we were home. Right. And other than that, like we we're just touring. And so by the time the fourth year rolled around, I kind of was just like, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like, I don't know if this is sustainable. Like, you know, we were living off the band at that point, not a great living, but when you're, you know, when your rent's 200 bucks a month, cause you have five roommates, like, you know, making $400 a week is like, Oh, cool. This is, I can totally pay my life and still go out and grab a coffee or whatever. Right. But I finally just got to this point where I was like, man, you know, I really want to do more recording. I really, you know, there were other things that I was still doing when I was home here and there from touring that I just really wanted to focus on. And it didn't really feel like, you know, the band at that point had kind of plateaued in a way. Um, and then they find like, after I had left, they made a, um, the last record they made, uh, underground is a dying breed kind of saw the band take another little bit of a rise, which was awesome to see. Cause the record's great. Um, but there was just this kind of gray time period where it's like, you know, is this sustainable? Is it not sustainable? And, you know, to be 28 years old, trying to think like, my God, what am I doing next? Like I'm almost 30 years old. Like I don't have anything else in my life. Right. It just started to stress me out. And I was like, okay, I'm not super happy right now. And I don't know if it's because of this or because there's other things I want to do, or I just couldn't figure it out. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to try some other stuff. And hope it fucking works, you know? And so at that point I quit the band. I, and as I mentioned, I was working day, you know, day-to-day -day management still with our management company. So I didn't want to not be associated with the guys. Like I love the guys, you know? Right. And I was really, after about the first year I'd become the business guy in the band. So I wanted to keep doing that. But I also went out and wrote a whole business plan for a studio and got a business loan and started I built this studio. I moved up to Burlington, Vermont at this point and um, with the help of some really good friends, built this studio and was running it with my buddy Daryl who was in um, that band, The Cancer Conspiracy that was kind of like a mathy kind of prog band back in the day. Like Daryl's one of the most amazing guitar players I've ever 
had the fortune of coming across an amazing human being. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. I, I don't get to see him very much now, but he is, if you ever get to meet this dude, yeah. he's incredible. Um, but yeah, we just, we ran the studio up there for a few years and I was going to move down to Providence and I was like, Hey man, I, you know, he's been in Vermont his whole life. I was like, I just don't want to do this without you. Like we should build another studio in Providence and just keep it going. So he moved with me to Providence and we opened another studio, you know, kept doing it. Cool. Um, so, you know, the thing is, I think from a really early point in my life, I was lucky to have a dad who said, son, I hate what I do. The best advice I can give you is try to figure out something that makes you happy and do that. He, he was an accountant his entire life before he retired. Well, actually, he hated it so much he switched over. For the last 10 years of his career life, his mm-hmm. business life, right. he went into human resources, and he loved that much more because he likes. he's from the Midwest, so he likes talking to people. He's very friendly, mm-hmm. likes to get to know people. But he, he told me from a young age, like, I, I've always hated what I do. I did it because it was practical. Right. What a, what a great, like, what, how many, there are not many dads do it. Totally. That. So what a great piece of advice. And the thing is, anytime that I've needed to pivot in life, I've done it so hesitantly, but also when I get into it so wholeheartedly because I don't think it can work any other way. Sure. And so when I left Hot Rod, it was, okay, I'm going to take this big plunge and try to get this money to open a studio. Because, I, I mean, you know, I didn't have the fortune of having like a wealthy family or anything. Like nobody could help me out, you know? And so I've done, and that was the other thing that my parents both instilled in me at a young age was, if you want anything in this world, you're going to have to work for it, you know? And I think now to this day, I was hearing that since I was 12 years old. I got my first job at 13 and now at 43, I'm still busting my ass because that's what I believe makes makes a successful person, you know, and makes a well-rounded person. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so anytime I've made a change, I've just kind of jumped in, like blindly jumped in. I've never written a business plan before, but I did it got some advice on it and went and got the, got the loan Did the studio studio. Wasn't working out. Well, shit, what am I going to do now? I, I did the studio for 10 years, closed down and another opportunity came knocking to do this digital marketing stuff that I had no experience in, but I had a friend that needed help on a project and I jumped in. I learned a whole new skill set over the seven years that I, that I worked with him and you know, I was unhappy doing that. So I'm like, my wife, God bless her, said, oh, have you, maybe you should think about going back on the road because we had just done these hot rod shows with Say Anything and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Bayside. And she had never seen me. She knew I was a band guy all these years, but she'd never seen me actually in a band touring or doing whatever. So she came out to two of the weekends on that tour. She's like, I've never seen you this happy before. Like, Maybe you should think about going back on the road. So this is where actually I remember you come into part of this situation because we were all out. It was you, me, Lindsay. I don't remember who else was there. We were at Burger Up one night. I was visiting. I had I wasn't even living in Nashville at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I'm going to totally do something that makes me uncomfortable that I never do in my entire life, and I'm going to ask you for help. <laughs> and I said... I'm looking to make a change. I want to go back on the road. Right. All of you that are at this table are people that are tied into that. And I really, if you th- hear of anything or see anything pop up that might be good for me, drum tech, whatever, tour management, whatever, please keep me in mind. And I, I made similar calls to other people. I, made, I called Zach Clark, who's an old friend of mine who plays with Andrew McMahon. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that opened the door to the Andrew McMahon thing. So, you know, it's just this kind of weird interweaving i i know yeah. i'm totally going down a rabbit hole well, no here, but, but like i i had a note that I, I wanted to ask you so what, what was it like to return to that you know so you had stepped away because and d- just in on a personal note at 25 for me i had a thought of if i if there isn't an upward trajectory for me doing this for a career to you know a full a real job if there's not a upwards trajectory of like I'd like to be working doing arena shows not not today there's a, a path I get it but like if I don't hit that point I need to I need to reassess this you know because yeah. in my head at that point it was like all right if if you're working in that capacity 
there has to be more stability. There has to be more, I mean, money for all intents and purposes, but you, you know, there, you, you would hope that you would be able to be at least stable. And I think it took me a little bit longer to kind of turn that corner. And I had walked away similarly for a minute to do brand marketing and that kind of thing as well. But, um, what was that, you know, like you just said, your lovely wife said, I haven't seen you happy like this to be out doing this with your friends, you know, playing music or just around it. One, what a, an amazing testament to a partner to be like, maybe it's time to make a change again. And them saying like, and I support you in that and not just like, well, you know, like I see you're happy, but we also have to pay our mortgage. And, oh my God, you know, she didn't even hesitate. Yeah. It, it, was crazy. I she and I joke all the time because uh, I think when we when we were really early on in our dating, um, I wanted to take this trip to New York with my buddy John. Um, that hardcore band Battery was getting back together to play the Rev like twenty five year anniversary showcase or some shit like okay. that. And uh, um, my buddy Brian McTurnan, who made Sorry About Tomorrow, and I, I've known Brian since I was 16 years old. He sings in that band. So mm-hmm. John is from D.C. Brian and 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 John are best friends, like longtime childhood friends. Also, a pretty seminal producer. Am I wrong to say that? Absolutely, a lot, seminal a lot of producer. records came and out of his that early 2000s world. world mm-hmm. Thrice, Hot Water, mm-hmm. Movie Life. You know, um, he did Frodus. Uh, engine down. I mean, some of my favorite records from, oh, he did that recovery P. Oh my God. Some of my favorite records from that time period, Brian recorded. Yeah. I mean, it's like you can't go back to that time period without him being mentioned. Shout out intern Katie Brown. Shout out. I know you interned for him. Shout out Katie Brown. Yeah, Katie. (laughs) And I love that Katie lives in Nashville now. So, um, Oh crap! I totally forgot what I was. We were, we were, you were, we were saying um, that. Oh, getting back, yes. So, mm-hmm. Corinne, God bless her, didn't even flinch, and she's like, I, "I just think that you should see what the possibility is." Sure. And so that was. Let's see, when did we do those? We did that tour, I think June. Maybe it was August. I can't remember. Anyway. She and I talked about it basically off and on for about two or three months till I finally was like, okay, I think I think I can ask for help. Because <laughs> that's the hardest thing. Like, I hate asking people for anything in life, you know, favors, anything, you know, unless I absolutely yeah. am I, I, in well, dire need. The way you just described how you were raised by two people who told you to work for it, you know, but but I think that's a learned ability, the ability to ask for help. And I similarly with my folks, it's the same. And I've I've been trying in my thirties now to it's not you don't have to ask for help all the time, but like the moments where it's like, all right, I'm standing on a table holding a thing. I'm gonna fall off the table soon. So let me just go, hey, 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 hey. Can somebody, you know, like it's stupid. It's so stupid. Like to not to just think you got it when nobody and those people in that moment aren't like, oh, Evan, he needs all the they're like like we saw you about to fall off that table, so <laughs> we came over to help you. Like the stupider part about it was though, when I finally did ask people for for help, they were like, "Why didn't you just ask sooner?" Yeah, I mean, it's that's, like, yeah. and then I just but, felt like a dummy. You yeah, know? but you don't know what you know. You what you don't know. You know, like that. Whatever. Um, in that, so then that was transitioning, and the the possibility to tour with Andrew came up. Well, I want to answer your original question okay. because I went totally down memory lane. Right. You asked me, how was it to return to it? Yeah. After 14 years of not being on the road, it was fucking triumphant, man. Cool. I have not been happier. And it, and I don't say that fucking triumphant in like an egotistical way. Like I just felt like it was coming home to something. Yeah. 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 And you know, the thing is, it's like, it's really interesting about the friends that I have like you and, and just other people that are still touring at our, at our age is that, you know, it was ingrained in us at such an early age that this was a thing. Like, this is my life. You know, this this wasn't a trend. It wasn't some kind of fad. It was like, I I got into skateboarding when I was eight, punk rock when I was 12 or 13, and I've just been in it forever because it's just who I am, you know? And like, when all that thing, you know, the thing happened in the 2000s where it was like, 
you could really make a career out of this band thing, you know, and all these bands are forming to try to be popular and all this shit. Like that shit just never even crossed my mind. It's just like, I get paid to travel around the world doing something that I love doing with the people that I love. Right. And it's something that I grew up on and believe so heavily in like, holy shit. So for me to be able to come back now, two years ago and be doing this totally different thing, which has been amazing. Uh, has just been like the best feeling. And I mean, have there been days where all I want to do is be home or where we had a bad show or it just feels like I got kicked in the gut because something happened in the day, like hundred yeah. percent. But everybody feels that in every fucking job and every, right. you know, but anyway, yes, I wanted to answer. The, well, no, answer but yeah, question, but, so. but but great, great answer. And then also, like, yeah, everybody feels that. And our job is to not live behind a desk. And and again, look, I I feel fortunate to have had parents who that's what they sort of wanted out of me. Like, you know, we wanted you to go to college. We wanted you to work for a Fortune five hundred business or something big. You know, and and maybe that was a goal at some point. And then I just, I'll never forget my dad always hit a point where he's like, you and your brother just never going to sit behind a desk. And he, but, and he, and he was just like, but I've, you know, like, but his, but what he was saying to me is, and I've accepted that now. And you, you've shown me that you've found a, a life somewhere else. And that, you know, it's, it's taken a little bit longer than my peers, but you know, I have a lovely home finally <laughs> to show for it. And, you know, I, I live in a city with great friends and most of them are involved in this industry too. And it, it's like, it's its own little band of misfits in, a, in the greatest way, in the greatest, in, way, in the yeah. greatest way. The funny thing, just mentioning parents, and I neglected to mention this because I painted, you know, my experience with my dad and my mom being supportive in, in a certain light, but when I, I graduated college mm-hmm. and I worked at the college for two years, then the hot rod opportunity came along. So I phoned them and I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go on tour. And they <laughs> lost their fucking minds. Yep. What, what, are you, what are you doing? You know, there was this whole thing. It was not looked upon favorably, not of, oh, this is the thing that will make you happy. Go do it. You know, when it came down to brass tacks, not that my dad didn't believe everything that he told me because he did and he's, he's been 100% supportive of everything I've done. There was that moment in time where it was like, but you've got this job and mm-hmm. you, you're stable and this, that, and the other thing. Flash forward to four years later, as my parents are sitting in the dressing room with me at the Hartford Civic Center, where I saw my first concert, which was Metallica, <laughs> that my dad took me to, mm-hmm. and saw like the Hartford Whalers play. I grew up watching the, the Whalers play there all the time. We're sitting backstage, and I was like, hey, just so you know, like, I'm quitting. I'm quitting Hot Rod. Are you what? Are you sure you want to look at where you are? Are you sure you want to do that? I'm yeah. like, man, how soon they forget yes. you know, what you know what the past held for this conversation. Mm-hmm. So, but it, I, I think that's I, I like same same situation with my folks, and now it's just like I, I just love in the moments where I'm like, oh, I'm going back on the road. And like, okay, I'm like, and then I could be like, hey, you know who Dan and Jay's playing with this summer, mom? And mom's like, what? What's up? I'm like. Darius Rucker and I'm like and you're gonna meet him and my mom is like (laughs) cut it out and I'm like yeah and this is now my greatest moment in life you know like I know that you love you know like whatever we do it for our you know like you do it for your parents you do things for your significant other in life and you're like I just love those those full circle moments where like not that your parents are going to want to come to see Billy Eilish but like look at this crazy thing I'm doing now you know what I mean but look look at this thing come see this thing too and and Every time I talk to them on the phone, they ask me when we're coming to Tampa. They, my dad thinks that Billy's so interesting. He really wants to come to the show and see yeah. him. So, I mean, they, they've been supportive. They came to see Hot Rod every time that we were nearby. Yeah. Or, you know, they've, um, I'm trying to think, do they, they've come to see, they've seen Andrew once, uh, didn't come out to the Thrice. We, we weren't in Tampa on Thrice, but, you know, they, they like to come out and check it out, but they're really excited to see the Billy show. So, which is great. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this in terms of coming back and now having, I would say, you know, just a different level of wisdom. You did, you did this as a job for those, that timeline. You were in a band, you were part of a unit, you toured, you recorded, you know, albums, et cetera. And now 
kind of entering Andrew McMahon camp's different because he's a well-established artist as well. He's a peer of yours. You guys are in the same age range, you know, and all those guys that play with him are, you know, those are your peers. Those are your guys. Yeah. They've seen it all at this point, but coming into a scenario where you're working for such a young artist, do you feel like you've been able to pass along sort of what your wealth of knowledge, because you've been doing this a little bit longer. You, um, you have this engineering experience, studio experience, producing experience, and then you 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 live this whole life on the road, um, and then now you're kind of working with a younger generation. Granted, brilliant in their own right, you know, the whole camp, Billy, her brother, and then Andrew, the drummer, um, that's been playing with them. But like, what are you? Are you able to like feel like an older advisor in all of this? Like, what's your? I definitely feel older. Um, no, I definitely, you know, as far as Phineas and Billy go, I think it's more of like a, you know, tales of the road kind of thing. They've got their whole structure set up and have a great team and great family around them. That that was one of the things that really drew me to this whole thing was that it's a family. Mm-hmm. Their parents are out with them. Like, they just have good support. Uh, and as far as Andrew goes, I mean, he... He's 28, so he's the oldest in the camp, quote unquote, the oldest. Yeah. Um, and you know he's he's just this mad scientist with the tracks and Ableton and just electronics and the drums and all this stuff and just everything that we've kind of put in to creating his world. I've been really trying to help and advise him on certain things, you know, like endorsements or you know how to go about just navigating business and such like that. I mean, he's he is, they're all incredible. And I think that, you know, their careers are going to be these kind of long and just amazing journeys. So anything I can do to help any of them, obviously I would. Um, and so, you know, right now I'm just kind of focusing on Andrew and just making sure that he's set up and, and can be successful in his day to day and just the future. So, um, All right, I'm going to go with sort of like the rapid fire round, which we get into every every episode. Um, What advice? I feel like I could stretch this question back further for you, unfortunately. (laughs) But um, what advice um, in terms of touring, or you know, you were at a different stage. Let's call it ten years ago. But ten years ago, five years ago, you know, like what advice would you offer to yourself? Um, it, it could be just life advice or, or in terms of like getting back on the road, which you've done sort of in that five or less year category, but like what, um, what advice would you offer yourself in those stages? Don't overthink it. Okay. I mean, it's that simple. I've been a person that's overthought pretty much everything my entire life. And in a lot of ways, I think that, you know, hobbled growth at at some point or Mm -hmm. another and probably did a few times and i would give that advice to anybody like don't overthink it just execute on it if it doesn't work try something else you know it's it's i know that seems so cliche and so you know well it's easier said than done but actually you're a product of it too so i think we all are i mean and change it up until you find something that works that's it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the other, the other rapid fire question that happens every time is, "What is your number one tour essential?" And you're not allowed to say phone or computer because, for the most part, all of us that are working in some capacity on the road, you need it. It's those are necessities now. Those aren't um, essentials. So it can be like a work essential for you, or like a a personal essential. But what's your what's your like number one thing that you need when you're when we're on tour? Uh, friends and family. So if I didn't have the fortune of working with the people that I do, and if I didn't have the fortune of having the wife that I do at home, Mm -hmm. I would be totally crazy. I mean, I'm crazy, but (laughs) I would, I would be totally, it keeps me grounded in both on both sides when I'm home and even when I'm on the road, Corinne's super supportive and she totally grounds me, even if I'm totally spinning somewhere out there. And then if I were on the road with people, I mean, 
the weird thing about this business is you're going to work with people sometimes that you don't always like, but I've been super fortunate to find and work with people that I absolutely love and consider family now. Every single person on the crew that I work with now is amazing. My experience with Andrew McMahon, amazing. Thrice, amazing. Like, I, If I didn't have that experience, I think that my life on the road would be totally different and probably wouldn't be happy. And, and that's the thing, like a lot of these guys can go out and just be their own person and be an island. And like, I have friends that go out and like on days off, just go do their own thing. Don't care about hanging out with anybody or whatever. Like for me, the experience is not just what we do on stage every night, but it's also the relationships I'm building and the friends that I'm maintaining and the love that I'm sharing with people, you know, and vice versa. And that's what makes us human. Yeah. And if we don't have those because of whatever circumstance, like, I don't know, life's kind of meaningless. I think touring would be meaningless. Like it's all an experience, you know? So I think that's a good, a way, 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 way good spot to end this. Then I think cool. that was a fantastic answer. Um, just because I always love giving people a minute to do some shout out stuff. What, uh, where can people find you, uh, follow you, et cetera. If they're, you know, Mike, Mike, Mike is a multifaceted human. So he offers great advice at times. And like, like he's talked about, been involved with business ventures, et cetera. You know, so aside from this road stuff, so where can the, where can everybody follow you and see what you're up to and reach out if they've got questions about drums or studio life or, uh, you know, or anything or anything, uh, easiest thing. The only thing I'm really maintaining anymore is Instagram. So it's just at Mike Porman. Um, so M I K E P O O R M A N. But yeah, I mean, don't hesitate if anyone wants to reach out and start a conversation. Hey, I'm around. So cool. Well, Mike Porman, (laughs) thank you for being a part of this today. Thanks man. Yeah, it was great. I I'm glad we finally got to sit down and and make it work yeah yeah all right so thanks big thanks to mike he is one of my favorite people to just sit and talk with for hours uh i i had to have him on to just offer some really amazing advice to those of you who are listening he's been at it a really long time he's seen every side of the music industry like you heard in our discussion and i really hope you took away um, some great advice kind of on life. And in if you're trying to break into this industry, there's so many ways to do it. And I think Mike has proven you can leave and come back whenever you'd like and that uh, you can keep developing new skills for life and um, leaving people with a good memory of you and leaving on a good note. I I always try my best to do that and I hope you all do in your daily life and whether you're trying to pursue something in the music industry or just grinding out your days, uh, make people smile, keep people happy, always do your best, work hard, push, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Notes from the Road Pod and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast listening site. Notes from the Road is produced and engineered by Isaac Burkhart, along with production and design by Andrew Cook. Thanks. See you next time.